Okay, quiet on the set, everybody. Stand by. Roll camera. Speed. Roll sound. Speed. Market. And cue talent. Welcome to another episode of This Week in Production. We are on location for another week, this time in Boston. Today I have two guests with me, a fan favorite, Lou Lita from his previous podcast. Hello. Equipment Purchases. Good to be back here on my home turf. In your home turf. Also joining us for the first time, Mr. John Sheeran. Good evening. It's good to be on Lou's turf. John, since uh, you are new to the podcast, can you just introduce yourself? Give us a brief bio on uh, on John. Uh, I'm John Sheeran. I am a camera do-it-all. Uh, I uh, started out in feature films back in the 80s as a uh, film second assistant back before they had individual loaders. So. The camera crew is comprised of basically a DP who was the operator, a first assistant, and a second assistant. So uh, I grew up in uh, feature films, working uh, with exclusively 35mm film for about uh, 20 years. And then uh, got married, and my wife and I decided that I needed to be closer to the house rather than gone most of the time on location. So I started working uh, short form. Uh, commercials, documentaries, training films, um, music videos, anything that was less than a week's worth of production closer to home, which is in uh, southeast Texas in Houston. And uh, so now, um, through attrition, I've uh, been operating and DPing uh, for the last uh, 15 years or so but I have many old clients that still use me as a first camera assistant. And um, with the knowledge I bring to the game, I'm also used as a uh, camera technician. And so that's uh, what I am here in Boston for. We're uh, putting together a, a three camera mirror package that uh, requires uh, some pre-production. And uh, we're here to take care of that at uh, Rural Camera tomorrow. This episode, I wanted to talk about preparing equipment for a shoot. And what I really mean is when you're using equipment maybe outside of your own personal equipment, maybe you're renting equipment and you haven't necessarily worked with it, there's lots of little pitfalls. And I know I've got horror stories about just going in and picking up said rental equipment without really doing a proper tech checkout and I think there's value in doing it I see the value in doing it now but back when I was just a, a young pup I didn't always see the value and and I know Lou you've got a, a story maybe you can uh, share with the audience I can it was one of the one of my least favorite experiences in production but uh, you know right now in my career I really don't have to rent too much you know, I work with you in a lot of jobs, so you've got most of the gear. And when I'm doing my own productions, I have most of what I need. But, um, you know, there's always that concern when you rent something that you it's not yours and you don't know how it's going to perform under, you know, uh, in the heat of the battle. But one particular instance I had talked to you guys about earlier was I was on a job years ago, and it was tight, it was quick, and it was with a governor. 
Um, and we were told we must have a teleprompter for a 30-second script. Didn't really need an operator. It was just a very simple script, more or less, you know, couple lines, had to do a little scrolling of the lines, do it a few times and get out of there. Um, well, we rented the teleprompter and everything was all set up and we realized we were missing the cable to control the teleprompter and we were two minutes from record time. And, well, maybe it wasn't two minutes, it was about 10 minutes and they were telling us, the government's gonna be here, is everything all set? I'm like, oh, it's not, it's not all set. So we had to call the rental house and I remember they whisked uh, a cable down to us. I ran downstairs, they threw it out in the van, threw it out of the van to me in the street. I ran back up, we plugged it in, governor walked in, we did our shoot and everything was fine. But you know, you're dealing with a governor and handlers and just that added stress, it, you know, when it really didn't need to be that bad, but we didn't check that, didn't, I didn't know what I didn't know because I'm not really a teleprompter operator, but we had to make it work and I didn't have that cable and thus stress. I am exhausted just listening to that because I know exactly. I, I can, what I'm you actually, went I can feel the pit in my stomach. I, it's coming right back to me. Well, I, I think when any time you're in the you know heat of production and there's a problem which you know could have been avoided with a little planning, mm, and now you're in the moment and it many times is too late, that's a cold sweat that mm -hmm. you don't forget. And, and it just takes years off of your life and adds to the hell of the day. Which at, at best, that's all it does. Right. At worst, it may cost you a job or a client oh, sure. or even your reputation. Yeah, absolutely. But I know, um, John, when I first met you, I was very impressed by your, your detail and your meticulousness. And so impressed that I said, John, I need you to come to every one of my jobs and and help with my preparation, uh, which I thank you for, <laughs> because it's been it's been a game changer. But tell me a little bit about what you go through in terms of preparing uh, equipment for a job. So, um, as a camera technician, as a camera assistant, uh, you want someone that is, in my opinion, introverted and anal retentive. Someone that works best with horse blinders on and can focus on the job in front of them with all the minutia that is necessary to put a working camera package together that works properly. And if it breaks down, you then also have the spare parts and the spare cables in which to properly diagnose and fix the problem. So, um, 99% of my job is making sure that, uh, well, well, my job starts the, the moment the producer calls me up and assigns me to a job. At that point, I find out what equipment they've ordered, try to get a contract from the rental house, look over the contract, and immediately start fleshing out the contract. Because we, we all deal with limited budgets. Now, they may be large limited budgets or small limited budgets, but there's always a limit to the budget. So my job is to find out what the producer and the director have planned for the shoot and make sure that the proper equipment is ordered in order for that shoot to happen. 
So my job starts a week, hopefully, sometimes two or three days before the job, when I start going over paperwork from the rental company. Producers don't know what a camera package consists of. Directors don't know what a camera package consists of. DPs should know, and they do know what a camera package consists of, but typically they order the large pieces. And it's up to the camera assistant or the camera technician to order the smaller pieces to put it all together to make sure that everything works in a complete workflow. So I will spend 20 or 30 emails and four or five telephone calls over the course of three or four days between the production company, the producer, the rental house, the rental manager, and myself, putting together on paper what constitutes the complete package. Then at certain points, budget-driven, if they have the money, there's a camera prep in which the camera technician or the camera assistant physically goes to the rental house the day before the shoot or the Friday before the Monday shoot and uh, starts physically laying their hands on the equipment. And so you basically take this paperwork that you've been working on for three or four days or five or six days, that transforms into real equipment, real cables, real batteries, real lenses that are waiting for you in cases in a corner at a camera rental house. So my job is to start literally from the ground up. The first thing I do is I'll put the spreader on the ground and I'll open up the pair of tripod legs, put them on the spreader, attach that, open up the tripod legs one at a time, test them, make sure that they're all stable, they're all steady, they're all adjusted correctly. And you start literally from the ground up and you build the entire camera package out in the different ways that are it's going to be used on the set. So sometimes it's just on a tripod, sometimes it's on a dolly, sometimes it's handheld, sometimes you're on some sort of a gimbal mechanism or a remote head. So you need all those little pieces and all those little accessories that makes each one of those shooting modes most comfortable and most efficient for your operator. One thing that I will um, add to this um, point that you're making, just because you order it from a rental house doesn't mean that the rental house is looking after giving you necessarily the best or functional equipment. Even something as simple as a set of tripod legs. You may order a set of legs and they may be bent. They may be dented. They may not retract all the way down or all the way up. And if you just go and, oh, I don't need to do a check because it's just a pair of tripod legs, then you pick them up, you get to the set or the location and they don't extend you're you're stuck so so that's it it all comes back to budget and that that's the really hard reality of any sort of production these days does the company have a full day budget for the camera technician to go to the rental house and literally spend 8 hours at the rental house and put the entire package together Sometimes they're budgeted for that, sometimes they're not. Sometimes you throw the craft and you throw the dice rather, and you either don't have a prep budgeted 
or you only have a half day budgeted and the package is large enough that in that half day there's no way you can possibly build out everything so you make sure that all the pieces are there that are supposed to be there you put your lenses on your camera you make sure your camera works properly everything boots up correctly and that's another thing we need to talk about the 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 new not the new hd cameras because they've been around for 10 years or so but basically you're you're dealing with computers that have lens ports on them and so you're still bringing light through a lens but you're hitting a an optical chip now instead of a film plane and in order for that optical chip to perform properly it has to be programmed. The entire camera has to be programmed. So one of the most difficult parts of my prep is getting the programming information out of my producers because they're the overall knowledge of a producer it doesn't go down to the minutia of that sort. So you start with the producer because they're the, the head of the pr project that you're working on. They'll usually defer to the DP, but the, uh, who is the director of photography. But sometimes the DP has not been in contact with the client who knows where the final product is going to and how they're gonna use the footage. So you have this moving target that you're trying to find somebody in the production to give you the information on how to program the camera. And programming the camera can be as intense as going through 200 or 300 menu selections within the camera itself to program it the way. Now there, there are about a dozen main menu selections that you need to program a camera, but if you're doing something specific to a job that either the DP or the producer requires, you're getting really deep into the menus. And as a camera technician or camera assistant, it is not your job to choose those menus. It is your job to program what somebody wants you to program into those menus. And getting that information is often uh, a 20 or 30 email uh, 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 journey you take during pre-production. And even up until the morning of the shoot, sometimes you've not been given that information. And uh, so that's that's the 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 harrowing part of uh, last minute programming on a camera. But uh, as a as a camera technician, as a camera assistant, uh, there is nothing more valuable to a shoot than having a full day prep prior to the job to go over the equipment at the rental house. Because a lot of times the rent you can't expect a rental house to have every piece of equipment you could ever want always. So all the rental houses belong to a large rental house uh, conglomerate. Um, uh, I think it's called Para, and I forget what that stands for. But um, so if you have rental house A, and they have a certain type of equipment in their house, and rental house B has a certain type of equipment, they all share equipment for rental among themselves so they all know that if they can't supply you with the entire package they have brother and sister rental houses all over the state and all over the country that they can go to to get the equipment so oftentimes that equipment comes in with about 90 percent of the pieces in that piece of equipment that you need to make it function and then you're left with the rental house you're prepping at 
to try to find a way to make that equipment function because your job's the next day and you can't ship any more equipment in and have it there on time. Well, I, I, I will say that you bring a couple of things to my mind. Um, one, just being, you know, something very simple as a um, 19 millimeter lens support bracket or a 15 millimeter lens support bracket, which from rental house A might be included in a lens, but rental house B um, shipped it to rental house A without it, and rental house A didn't check, and there was no you know checkout for the gear. It shows up on site, and now you're trying to run a long lens on a maybe EF mount without a lens support bracket, and you know that that's a risk. That's a weak point. It, that's a very weak point. And and at some point it could actually stop production because it you know, failed or, or, you know, something happened. But it also reminds me of a, a uh, not so distant uh, issue I had with a very large rental house. Uh, I'm not going to name names, but it made me go grrr. How do you spell uh, that? How many R's? <laughs> but this was a national rental house, and we had rented from them many, many times in the past. And we were doing a location job. We, we drove to the location the night before, showed up the morning of the shoot to the rental house. I think it was on a Sunday, paid for a, a Sunday open to pick up the normal package that we always get from them. And they didn't have the order. The order literally was not in their system. And uh, after going back through a series of emails and the emergency cell phone call to the rep, um, it turned out we were in Cleveland and the order was sitting in the New York office. And we literally had no equipment to do the job. And then, um, of All course, hell broke it loose. was a scramble and a, and a whole bit. And, and if we had simply planned a day to do a check on before the shoot it would have avoided that whole crisis yeah but on the other hand it again it was probably budget driven and uh it, it was partially bu budget driven but it was also there was a comfort because we had rented all of the equipment from the same company before and so there was a comfort level in that they would know what to do but of course when you assume mm -hmm. so so there's value in my opinion in in spending the little bit of money it costs to do the prep it, it's money well spent especially when it it matters i mean if you're doing you know your friend's independent feature film and you don't have the time or the money to do it okay you know you roll the dice no one's going to get fired for that, but if your name is on the job, if your butt is on the line, I find that it's it's worth it to do the prep. So, give me some of the most common things that can um, go wrong in a prep. So cables, 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 cables. They they're they're the weak link in that um, when you plug a cable in, you're you're, you're hoping that whoever's plugging the cable in isn't in a hurry. But time is, is, is of the essence on a shoot, so you're always doing something quickly. 
You try to do something safely and you try to do it correctly the first time. Best working practices. Sometimes you don't have time for best working practices and you try acceptable working practices. And so cables get plugged in and get pulled out in the incorrect fashion. And so after a while, those cables will fail. So the idea in a prep is that if you are in a cable-centric project, you always have at least one backup cable for every type of cable you're using, whether it's a power cable, a zoom cable, a, a BNC cable, any sort of cable you're using, you always have a spare cable because that is the weak link. How many times have you been working on something and you pan quickly and all of a sudden the monitor you're looking at or the eyepiece you're looking at goes blank because the cable has bent just slightly at the connection and it has it had been broken but you didn't notice it until you put that torque on it so you always have spare cables always have spare cables and then of course the next thing to go down is anything electronic which includes the camera but not a lot of people want to bring on a spare camera body on a commercial or short-term project. They're very common on features, on TV movies, on television series. You always have spare bodies because you're, you're working them quickly and abusing them, and you don't have it's, – it's less expensive to have spare bodies on the set than for the set to go quiet and black for a while. So um, zoom controls. Zoom, zoom controls, microforce controls, as tough as they are, they get worked constantly. They have uh, delicate electronics in them, and if you drop them or if you abuse them, you're going to lose your microforce zoom controls. So if you ever have zoom controls, you always bring a spare backup of your zoom controls. So again, it's, it, it is budget-driven. If I could have a backup for every piece of equipment, I would double the order and I would double the cost for my producer, which is not going to happen. So you have to pick and choose what you think is the most weakest link in your shooting uh, scenario for that particular job and back it up as much as the budget will allow you. Now, some rental houses understand that uh, the weak links are there. They know what equipment comes back broken. They know what equipment comes back torn up and their reputation is on the line too. So oftentimes they will send out spare equipment and spare cables pro bono. As long as you don't use it, they don't charge you for it. But it's their reputation that's on the line, too. So if, I, go ahead. I, I will say to that point that that was probably more common 10 years ago than it is now. Ah, uh, okay. I've found that even with well-known, well, you know, well, good reputation houses mm -hmm. have fallen back a bit on some of that and i think that was very true in the days of you know beta cams and and video recorders and probably film cameras and mechanical devices but i find today even at the best well-respected rental houses you have weakness in some of that well that's uh, that speaks to their profit margin and how flooded the market is with hd equipment the the determining factor 25 years ago was 35 millimeter film, 35 millimeter cameras, very expensive pieces of equipment. You either had to be a rental house or a very consistently working DP to own motion picture equipment. 
now, you know, for $10,000, you can be an entire production studio, camera, editing suite. You yeah, can, the, I, I call... The rental business has definitely changed, mm, to, so, your, to your point. And, yeah. and that actually reminds me of now I actually go out and shoots and I always have an extra camera with me. Just, you never know when your main camera is going to die. And Do you mean your iPhone? Well, there's that's like the third in line, but sometimes it's two or three cameras. It's for you know for the amount of space it takes in the car or the van. Why not throw it in there? And invariably, when I don't bring something extra, an extra battery, or oh, I'm not going to need audio, I need it. I just have now made a habit of bringing everything I can stuff. You know, there's some exceptions, some you know a jib or well, uh, it, it, you know, but it all depends on the type of work that you're doing. My work is road centric sure. i travel that's an extra constantly. check in and, bag and even something as simple as batteries where i you know with the airlines nowadays and the whole problem with lithium batteries and and you got to carry them on that's actually affected the way that i do business the fact that i used to be able to stick a whole trunk full of batteries in checked luggage is no longer viable and now i have to mm. plan my carry-ons around batteries and how many cases and how many people I have to carry equipment. So I will rent a lot of batteries. Now you say batteries, common, you know, no big deal. Just go pick them up from the rental house. And John, you can attest to this. How many jobs have we been on where we've rented batteries and maybe a third of them mm. were crap? Yeah, didn't hold their charge. And, and if you don't have a battery functioning... You're fucked. Yeah, you're yeah. done. Yeah. No, it's And that, that's something that you might say, hey, we don't need to do a check. We don't need to do a tech check just for batteries or just for whatever. But if it makes the production go or not go, you need to think about it. Well, you know me. You and I have had this discussion constantly regarding power management and batteries on shoots. And as a, as a camera technician... And as a producer, the last thing you want to tell your client is, we have to take a half an hour break because we have to charge batteries. Or so, that you lost a take because the battery died and you don't have any more. So, so I am always... Not that that's happened to me. No, never. <laughs> I, I always overestimate my battery needs just because if I'm renting from an unknown source, I depend on about 25% of the batteries not living up to their recommended charge requirements. So um, that is a, an argument, a conversation rather, that I always have with producers uh, during the budgeting uh, meetings when they ask me what sort of power requirements we need for certain cameras and certain accessories that we're gonna have. And uh, I always try to put on about uh, 30 to 35% more batteries than we should need if everything was at 100%. And so that always gets red flagged, but once I tell them the, the issues involved with rental house batteries, um, they usually come around. Rental houses are under such pressures these days to get equipment in and get it back out onto the streets for rental that oftentimes they just don't have time to do their due diligence and their maintenance on their equipment and again, that comes back to the prep. Oftentimes, about 25% of my day during a prep is repairing 
the rental equipment that I'm checking out because it's not up to my spec. It may be up to whoever used it before spec, but there are certain things that, that always need to be attended to during a prep that have been missed by the rental house because, number one, they're understaffed. Number two, they don't have the time to prep their own equipment as thoroughly as a camera assistant would prep it. There's just enough hours and not enough hours in the day and not enough money in their budget to put those number of people on to keep that equipment at top working condition. So um, that's, that's part of the prep as well. It's not only making sure that all the equipment's there, but actually repairing equipment uh, and quality checking equipment at the same time. Just real quick before we um, start to wrap this episode up, just uh, curious, going back to the, the heyday, the golden years of uh, film <laughs> production, on a, on a feature, I mean, how many days would you get to do prep on a, on a big budget feature? Well, let me, let me put my rose-tinted glasses on here. Just a second. Going oh, those look way, good on you. way back. Thank you. So um, back in the heyday, I had, I had the great fortune to start my second AC career working with some really good first assistants and some very top DPs. I was, I was trained in the British system. The first five features that I worked on were with British camera crews. And uh, they did their preps by the book. Um, so typically my preps for features back then were between five days and 10 days. So between one week and two weeks, because the prep not only was about the equipment, there were makeup tests, there were wardrobe tests, there were filter tests, there were lighting tests on the actors, the actresses, the set design. We would shoot 20, 30, 40,000 feet of film during our test week so that they could then figure out what needed to be changed and how they were going to go about making that look for the feature film. So that is still done on certain very high-end features, but because of uh, the onset of electronic cinematography and the different uh, ways to manipulate that in post-production, um, with the large files that they can uh, generate during uh, the filming. There's a wide palette and uh, a wide look they can give to the final product without uh, having to do a lot of experimentation up front. So what we used to do prior to photography and establishing a look for the entire palette is now done uh, after the fact. Not after the Save fact. Post. And and I don't want to speak to this as a global uh, uh, application. There are still some extremely talented and extremely fine filmmakers out there that pay precise attention to pre-production. They pay attention to texture. They pay attention to color palette. They pay attention to density. They pay attention to makeup, hair, wardrobe lens choices, lighting, and all that happens up front. Because if you, if you can't get the proper tools working properly up front, you cannot emulate that on the back end. You can get close, but you can't emulate it. 
So I, I don't want to disparage any working professionals out there that still name names take the time to do it properly because it 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 worked for the first hundred years of filmmaking and it should work for the second hundred years of filmmaking. But we've we've got a new generation of filmmakers out there that are coming up with some incredible pieces of technology that they can lay their hands on for very uh, for very cheap, and um, they just want to jump right into filmmaking. And God bless them; they're they're making some very interesting projects and uh, experimenting with different texture and color palette in post production. And it's a it's a whole new ball game for a whole new generation of filmmakers out there. Well, I don't think we can add much more to that on this particular episode, but I would like to... Um, well, I could talk about the how one of my shoots got screwed up by missing a single screw for the tripod plate. There's really nothing much no, to add to that, but, yeah. but it just goes to show you a yeah, single it, screw it, 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 can take the whole project down. Everyone's ha That's happened, you know, I think, to everyone in production. I, I do want to um, wrap up on, on the run and gun segment, which we premiered last week. And I will say three things that you cannot uh, leave home without in your bag for any job. Three things. Oh, you want me to say three things? I want things. you to say three oh, things three? that you need to have with you on any job. I, I, okay, so as a camera technician, uh, tools, basically. So a good flat blade screwdriver that's my number one tool a crescent wrench that's my second tool and uh a wi-fi enabled cell phone so that you can uh call anybody at any time to get some advice that's most cell phones nowadays john <laughs> all right lily the three things you must have with you at all times during production a camera a battery and uh recording media but a screwdriver typically although i on many jobs i've had to borrow john's i usually ask him for a the, if i could have a quick screw and he obliges um <laughs> <laughs> readily never turn me down bonnie we'll talk later okay um you know, I'm a little different because I, when I'm on my own jobs, I typically I, I have a va it. van that's, full that's of why I'm gear. Asking you. So, it, you know, ba I obsess over batteries. I, I, and I think we may have talked about this in in the last couple of podcasts ago about batteries for cameras, batteries for LED lights, batteries for monitors, for GoPros, for Osmos, for whatever. I, I'm I obsess over batteries. So even if I'm going to shoot something that's going to take an hour, I will load every battery I have because I just feel like someday they're all going to die at once. So I'm a big stickler on batteries, and, um, you know, I can't think of anything else. A, a good sun, a good sunscreen for a monitor. That's I'm, critical. I'm going to replace my cell phone with a good hex key set, metric that's, and imperial. That That's that's a good, yeah. very good point. Yeah, you got to have that. Three things that I always have with me in my bag no matter what i'm doing is a roll of gaff tape oh yes how can we forget i have some form of lens cleaner either mm -hmm. disposable or reusable mm. rag and i would say um tequila te <laughs> espresso tequila or espresso <laughs> are, is usually in my travel bag 
So it's one of your it's one of your key travel bags, yes, if I'm not that's, mistaken. That's true. That's true. Gentlemen, I want to thank you for joining me tonight from Boston. Hopefully, we'll have uh, many more podcasts together. All I do is think in terms of podcasts now. Great. Well, I I hope that everyone else in the audience finds it interesting as as I have. I do think that there's lots of insight to be gained little nuggets of wisdom that I get from John on a regular basis. Um, what was that little that little nugget you dropped on me today at the airport, John, about the quarter in the water glass? The quarter, quarter. Ah, yes, well. Uh, the, the, these are little John <laughs> gems. Oh, yeah, that, John gems. That change your life. Go ahead and share that little tip. It, it, we were just uh, uh, recounting the hurricane that's skirting the United States and living in a hurricane zone down in southeast Texas. Uh, one of the little tricks uh, we do or can do to find out um, if our electricity has been off for a while, if we've been away from the city uh, and out of town, is you take a, uh, a glass of water and stick it in the freezer and you freeze the glass of water. And then you put a quarter on top of it and just leave it in the freezer in the corner and forget about it. So that if you come home from your trip and you open up your freezer, and that glass of water is frozen again, but the quarter is at the bottom, you know that your electricity has been off for a while and that glass, that frozen glass of ice has melted and all your nice hundred of dollar, hundreds of dollars of frozen food should probably be thrown out because it's thawed and then refreezed. It's a gem. That is a, a gem. gem. Now, what if someone drank the water that had melted and drank the quarter? Would you have to do a, um, a detailed search for the quarter? I would call Lulita for that because he'd have the proper tools as documented earlier in this podcast. All right. And on that note, follow the leader. On that note, I will thank you two for joining me and we'll see you next time on this week in production. Go Astros.